What's up, everybody? This is AJ, and this is the Unnecessary Podcast. If you're new to the Unnecessary Podcast, it's just conversations with me and good friends about everything and everything. And right now we're listening to Wolfpeck, a song called Sky Mall. I'm getting really into Wolfpeck lately. Um, and today we have my very special friend, Alex from Pennsylvania. Hey, buddy. Hello. Ahoy. I wish I could uh, could have heard that song. I Hey, can you still hear me? Oh, I can hear okay. you. Okay, cool. I love Wolfpeck. Have you heard his uh, track as DJ Bean Ornish? No, I don't know. What, no, I have not. <laughs> so uh, have you heard any of the like, anti-establishment antics he pulls? No, unfamiliar. So uh, he did this thing a while back as sort of a protest to the low um, payment that services like Spotify give to artists for streaming credits. And uh, what he did was he secretly released to his fans uh, a heads up to stream an album. And that album was just like blank noise, but like a thousand tracks. And he called <laughs> it like music to sleep to. Mm-hmm. And then with the fact that everyone that had the heads up was listening to so many tracks. Uh-huh. They were supposed to just leave the phone on. He collected a ton of royalties from it and then used that to throw a concert for his fans. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty it, intentional, if you will. Yeah. I saw an um, interview he did with something like a Fox news kind of uh, aggressive interviewer trying to like nail him down. And it was, irreverent it was great yeah he's worth looking into a little bit like even outside the music it's interesting that that you describe this behavior from is it was wolfpack one person um i believe it's more jazzy jam bandy kind of a group but there is one dude who sort of like fronts the thing i got you got you um it's funny you mentioned this behavior out of them because their music, even though I don't know if any of their songs have words, but the songs that don't have lyrics will all have like a sense of humor about them. There's like a joyful, but like playful folly sonic quality that I think is really cool. I think it's so cool when you can evoke very specific, strong emotions, like without words. He, he has a song. They have a song, um, something fugue withering fugue something like that uh-huh. but it is it's purely instrumental but the music video that accompanies it has a an image associated with each sound so if like he goes up a scale he'll have like little dashes that go across the screen but then like weird stuff will happen and it'll be like three dots will pop up in the corner and as all these layers start to get built up like you can hear and see the song simultaneously in a way that is, yeah, it's playful and kind of weird, but it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is cool. Um, what, uh, I, I feel for me, film and music are like my quote unquote favorite forms of art. I think film is like the most complex form of art. Um, but music is up there of like, my fate, like more than architecture or, or paintings, which are like my third and fourth, I think favorite. I think 
I'm I'm with you on that logic, but I I think that in that case, video games I would argue are like the highest form of art Whoa. because much like film is, it's an extrapolation of this technology, mm-hmm. and you know we've been telling stories for as long as we've been human. I would argue. Yeah, I, think I can. I think I can make that sure. statement. Yeah, let's go with it. Uh, yeah. And at one point, telling stories became, you know, a collaborative effort or an effort to save the thing. And then at some point, they were written down or, mm-hmm. you know, these images were created. But it, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like even film is so new. And then you've got this next thing where it's like video games. They, they take you from being told a story to 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 living in an abstraction of this reality. Like mm-hmm. it, it's it's even that step further. Would you say it's more participatory, if you will? It's definitely more participatory. And it's not that you know the term verisimilitude, whenever like you're reading when you, when you're enjoying a piece of fiction and you get lost in the fact that this is something like that, like you read a book and you forget that you're looking at words on a page. Mm-hmm. Um, that that opportunity to get lost in the thing, I think, is greater with something like a video game. But but to me, it's not just the fact that it's more participatory. It's the fact that um, you've heard my take on what I believe this reality to be. You know, whether it's a, a play or a fiction or. Uh, uh, an illusion some people might say or, or hologram like mm-hmm. getting to play video games makes all of that make sense <laughs> it's like well well some of these can be really convincing much like the reality that we live in yeah i mean i play i play vr paintball like Every other day, pretty much when I'm home. <laughs> I haven't played any VR stuff. Do you have like an Oculus or something? Yeah. Oh man, it's on my list. Yeah, it's cool. Um, like, it's weird though. So, like, skydiving, like jumping out of airplanes and like doing wingsuit stuff, is what I like doing. And playing paintball with like other people. Not that I socialize, but just like having different skill leveled actual players. Um, and then the other thing I do is like travel the world. There's a Google earth app called wander. I think you had told me about this. That's really cool, man. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Um, but, uh, I heard this, I was watching this video about this guy make the argument for augmented reality over virtual reality. And he's like, virtual reality is about escaping, escaping, what, what we have and like augmented reality is about embracing and like immersing yourself in what we already have. Like, and I would prefer augmented reality. Mm -hmm. Um, if the planet survives, because like I've always wanted to like drive, you know, when we were driving this summer in Colorado and like, you look at the mountain in the foreground in the background, like, I want to know what the name of that mountain is. And like, what did, what what were the indigenous people that like were around this area and like what flower is that? That kind of stuff makes uh, augmented life reality cool. is fascinating, and it's like it, it's kind of a cool argument to say that you know yeah VR would be uh, an escape, and then augmented reality wouldn't be. But I think that 
among the many demons, you know, you're going to unpack with something like that. If augmented reality really were, you know, full scale adopted, you're, it's like you're never not looking at your phone, whether you are into tracking sports stats or uh, your boss wants you to respond to emails faster. Like the scroll is always going to be there. And in the same way, I don't know if we've done it, but uh, with a, a lot of people that I spend a lot of time with, um, if we get into an argument about something factual, I, I try to force the don't just look it up on your phone mm-hmm. because because, yeah, you could be right and I could be wrong about who that actor was in this movie. But but I don't really care that much about who the actor was. I'm enjoying having this debate. And, right. and I just think like the way that you're describing, you know, I want to know what that mountain is. Well, now you do. You know what the name of the mountain is and you know that like in 1782 you know 3,000 Indians were killed there like and uh it's at a 28 percent wildfire like warning I guess well I want to know but like information well like so here's an example when I was camping a couple years ago I came across a porcupine and that was beautiful (laughs) and like I have no I I had at the time no idea what porky how porcupines behave and so I kept my distance and was very cautious and later I learned that they're like very curious and calm and unafraid, very secure. Um, about 20% of its quills were missing. It was like a really cool, fascinating creature. But, um, and, and like the Ute had, had certain connotations if you came across one and, um, Cheyenne people had a certain connotation. And like, I wanted to like learn about this and meditate on it. Um, and I couldn't do that until like the next day. Um, and when I'm taking acid, just for me personally, like I'm not going anywhere near VR. Um, if it's, if it's anywhere near tolerable outside, like I'm going outside and like, I'm putting my feet in the dirt and like looking at nature and mm-hmm. to augment that with, to incorporate my intellect more into the natural world is like, acceptable for me as somebody who is highly intellectual, but also wants to get, wants to like put their feet in the dirt. (laughs) So when you look at this idea of augmented reality, your, your, the term you used was incorporate your intellect. And I think that's kind of interesting, but what do you mean by that? Um, like stimulate the part of my brain that thinks about anthropology. Okay. I gotcha. Um, have you heard the, I, I think Elon Musk is who I heard talking about it, but it's like a, an interesting question with technology in general. Uh, the, the information we can get out of technology is limited by the interface that we use. Mm-hmm. So if you have a computer in front of you with the entire, you know, knowledge of humanity at your fingertips, you're still only able to access as quickly as you can type things in and look them up and know how to look them up and use the right database to find things. And a cell phone takes that a step further because you can take this thing with you anywhere. It's faster, it's easier to use, mm-hmm. but it's still an interface issue. Mm-hmm. And one of these arguments about what the next steps would be, um, it opens up this whole conversation about wetware, implantable technology. Yeah. But the, the idea or the question is, how do you get that information from technology 
into your immediate realm of understanding mm-hmm. and and what do we become when we can you know it iq is one of those things that's really hard to actually track like how does one person smarter than another and you can have um exceptional skills at math and be just terrible with your linguistics or uh, you know the speed with which you process human emotions and interactions but but if we all had everything that we could look up just on google at the speed of a thought then are we not more intelligent what the fuck would be the point of going to 12 years of grade school you know and getting taught APA format versus MLA, you know? Yeah, no, I don't think there's much use in, if, if we have an external memory bank, essentially, Mm -hmm. then like there's no use. There's less use for having an internal memory bank. And like, that's not what intelligence is. Um, and that's not what wisdom is. Uh, Information so. recall is considered a part of the the complex intelligence quotient system. Right, uh, right, and I think IQ is right, and I think IQ is garbage. Like, I don't care how quickly you can recall information. Quite frankly, well, I mean, IQ, intelligence quotient, as a measurable and thing, they put a number to. It's a number of different things. It's not just how quickly you can recall the year that Nelson Mandela was assassinated or something like that. Right. But, and, but right. that's something that... But yeah. I'm saying those portions of it, I don't give a shit about. Like, what I care is about critical thinking, which is being presented sets of facts and being able to interpret them and understand them. And so, like, it doesn't matter what facts you can remember. It simply matters, like, the one fact that's in front of you. Like, can you figure that out? It's To me, it's a zen way of approaching things. Like, address the fucking problem in front of you. Um, and, and also, like, remembering experiences is more important than remembering facts. Like, remembering how you fucked up or how you succeeded <laughs> is more important than remembering what actually happened. Um, like remember I'm a process oriented person. So I feel like remembering a process is more important than remembering a thing. And it's easier to remember a process because you can remember 20 different processes that apply to 5,000 different things rather than remembering 5,000 different things. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do understand a lot of what you're saying. And I will definitely agree that especially in the like context of conversation, if you know, we are recognizing how much easier it is to, Use technology to get information that you need to, to do a thing. Then, yes, what you're describing as critical thinking or, or problem solving is a more valuable aspect of intelligence. But even if you still had you know, your cell phone available to you to answer any sort of simple Googleable question, being able to recall things and build a stock of information that you own that's within your own head mm. is an absolutely necessary skill too. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense because then if you don't have convictions or you don't have um, you don't have any basis, you don't have context, right? Yeah. Right, right. That makes sense. You need you need some baseline uh, memory, internal memory. That makes sense. I really like 
all kinds of different mythologies. And the more that I learn about mythologies, like it's rare now that I'll come across like, I don't know, uh, a mythological creature that I've never heard of before. Mm -hmm. And when I do, like, I'm able to think like, oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that Southeast Asian cultures had this kind of a monster because this thing is very similar to this other one that I learned about in a different culture. And why would these two groups of people both have some kind of a bogeyman that does this sort of a thing? Mm -hmm. And without without knowing about these things, like I could have access to look up information about them, but I'm not able to make my own connections if they don't exist within my memory banks in a matter that's accessible enough for me to think about it quickly for it to become relevant whenever, whenever something else ticks off in my head that that's a thing. Um, and I don't think that has anything to do with critical, you know, critical thinking or problem solving skills. But, uh, but if, if you're using the, see, the thing is the internet, I think is already a part of my brain. Like, mm-hmm. so I don't like it is your brain. So you're just simply it's pretty close. No, it and is. That interface I, I, I think it is your brain. <laughs> okay. I'm listening. Like it's just a brain extender and, um, it is a brain extender. I'm with you there. It's just an external memory pack. And, if you're if like if there's like a baseline functioning cognitive functioning that you have in like baseline memory, like if you, you know, as long as you don't have Alzheimer's or like a developmental disability, then the extra memory you get and internet access essentially is just an extension of your brain in my opinion. But that requires skills, organization uh, and the ability to recall also. And, And again, it kind of goes back to this idea of like, yes, you could find out anything about any of these mythological creatures, but until it takes that step from, I can look it up versus I, I, I know it well enough that it will occur to me without me having to know what to look for. And it becomes a matter of what they call, uh, uh, known unknowns versus unknown unknowns. The internet is full of all kinds of things that I don't know that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And the internet could bolster whenever I know what question to ask. But until all of this is simply within my head, then, then I still have to know what questions to ask. Therefore that internalizing memory, organizing it properly and knowing how to access it might need it. So where did you, where did you first learn about those mythological creatures? Um, was it the internet? (laughs) Sure. Plenty of it. So, so, Uh, but so then you're not relying on your own, like what you claim to be your own memories or knowledge is also something you just got from the internet. These are weird questions. (laughs) This is fun. They are. They're, they're weird <laughs> questions. They're interesting. And I, I think that that strays more into the, well, how can you know anything? Or what do mm-hmm. you, do you believe that what you know is real? Because again, you, you know how I take a look at this thing. I, I don't <laughs> think that anything that I know is necessarily real. Yeah. yeah. But, huh. But I, I, I am with you that like, from this perspective, like it, let's say there was a thing as such a thing as augmented reality where I could put on glasses or whatever and instantly have all this information. Like 
I don't think it would be healthy for somebody under 18 or something to have this. Like you would want a more can, maybe you would want a more pre-industrial development. Like I see this now with my, my uh, sister-in-law's kids and like my friend's kids, like a lot of them don't want toys with like a lot of flashing lights on them. Um, or like uh, we have friends that like they, they don't want their kids watching TV. It's almost like pre-industrial interactions for a, for a, a small child. Um, so I feel like that could extend to like augmented reality. Like you want to have a baseline. You need like your own brain to function, to cognitively function, set some neural yeah. neural pathways and some memories, and then you can sure. explore. Children don't need drugs. Adults need drugs because when you're a child, everything is already magical and wonderful. Like I'm, I'm with you on certain aspects of that, but I don't think I told you about this. I was having a conversation with uh, my best friend from high school, Steve, and uh, our other best, uh, remember Radford, his mm-hmm. mom, we went and had dinner with his mom and dad. Um, and Mrs. Radford was a school teacher and taught us uh, in elementary school. And our buddy Steve is now a school teacher. And I heard them just griping about kids these days. And this <laughs> idea like they don't want to pay attention and like they don't care about school and they don't take it seriously. And, and I'm a devil's advocate and I right. tried to walk this line without like pissing them off. Sure. This is, you know, their, their industry. This is their, I mean, I think for both of them a calling to a large degree, mm-hmm. but what I pointed out is like, it's just cause these kids see farther, like they know that this isn't important and maybe that's overly irreverent. Mm-hmm. But I think that instead of saying, you know, to get back to this other point that I think that limiting a child's screen time is important. I was just joking with Allie, like, I wish somebody was limiting my screen time because I play too much video games. I know Mm. I don't feel good when I play a ton of video games. Mm. But if we want our educational system to be effective, I think it's more important to meet these kids where they're at. Mm -hmm. And, And I mean, that's not easy. That means that people who really think philosophically about what education should do for society spend a lot of time considering what it is that our educational system is supposed to do. And I think for a while it was build people who fall in line to get jobs, especially jobs in factories. Yeah. And, and so many things in society have to change at this point because, because we're still plodding along like that is, the goal and it mm-hmm. really can't be and and our educational system will fail our children if it doesn't recognize those things i think yeah, yeah. i don't think that there's anything wrong with kids these days i think right. that there's a lot wrong with the way that we're trying to raise kids these days yeah and it's so funny like whenever somebody fucking complains about kids yeah or i think adults like anytime people complain about people like, where the fuck do you think these people came from? Do you think like these yeah. people were raised in a windowless room with a stack of books that they self-taught and like taught themselves English and like made, made every decision and you know me on free will, but like, especially when it comes to kids, when it's like kids these days, it's like, you think these fucking kids raised themselves? Did these kids choose to be born? You're the one who didn't pull out. You fuck. Like it's your fucking fault. Like I, I I'm, I, I hate it. It's like, it's like when a manager blames the employee for the bad work. It's like, look in the fucking mirror. You're the responsible party. Uh, the system 
is what we are born born out of, you know? So it, I think it kind of led up to this. It, it sounds like you've been feeling some aggression lately or maybe frustration, perhaps a sense of nihilism even. Um, is this some of that, do you think? Well, I've felt this way for 20 years, but no, I don't think uh, – no, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> it's not – I um, – yeah. I'm neither it's not it's not an optimistic nor pessimistic statement. Um it's simply like that is how the human condition is in 2021 like in the US we're very individualistic and we look at other people and we're like you're responsible for um for your environment and like I'm not surprised that people like people have always been complaining about kids these days, as you know, Yeah, it's always yeah, kids absolutely. these days. And also going back to the technology thing, you know, when the printing press was invented, people were worried about this technology that people would, the people would stop thinking for themselves and stop having their own memories. They would just be reading off a page and this, and, and other people were arguing, actually, this is like a brain extender. And so like every new technology that advances the human conscious potential uh, is, is, questioned you know it's it's like a an interesting yeah. it's it's because it's new it's interesting it, and this idea of uh fake news was really like started to get pushed whenever the printing press came around mm. like uh that yeah this idea that's so readily available mm-hmm. information became and and anytime you lower the bar to entry on we'll call it publishing because that's like the term you know we're using mm. now or posting or content sure. creation like mm-hmm. publishing yeah, yeah. all of these things that make it easier also make it less reliable uh more prone to fuckery like yeah it's right well yeah it's like it. it's why as you as you expand access to something you need to um as a community commit resources to what you collectively decide to be the most earnest institutions. And that's never perfect, but that like reduces corruption. Like have everybody be a journalist, but have some sort of system where the best journalist rises to the top. It's it's like, it's, it's a society is like an experiment. Oh God. Right. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. People who, who score highly on their, Mm-hmm. Uh, internet reliability, you know, gradient or uh, uh, fact fact checking, like uh, well, the yeah, well, the th- score. Well, I think the thing about journalism is that the best journalism is always going to exist on the fringes, like like the the best system you can build for journalism. Like, I I don't know if it's possible for good journalism to also be really popular to be quite honest. <laughs> I think, I, I think it's a pretty agreed upon statement that journalism has taken a, a hit over the past handful of years. And, um, I'm, I'm sure you've probably heard this argument about how, uh, a lot of, a lot of skilled journalism started with, printed publications and then it's disseminated out from there so the advent of cable news and 24-hour news stations were still reliant on uh 
well-staffed newspapers and people working there with integrity. And we're looking at something now where the the barriers to entry are lower, the uh, amount of content is greater. It's much easier for anyone to make this content, put it out there, and have it seen. And what's ending up is, in the very least, a a fractioning of the ideas, a lack of consistency. But then again, mm-hmm. like with that consistency or limited viewpoint, a positive. Mm-hmm. I don't typically consider fewer voices to be a good thing. Yeah, no, journalism is in a bad place right now, I think, is one thing you're alluding to. You know, like journalism in the U.S. is yeah. not in a good place. And um, I, I heard this statistic that like 40 or 50 or 60 years ago, at some point in the last century, a huge majority of journalists did not have a college degree. And now... Okay like 95% of journalists, even the ones on the quote unquote fringe have like a college degree. It's moved from being like a blue collar job to being like an intellectual pursuit. Yeah. I I can't imagine getting a decent job as a journalist without, you know, some kind of a degree in that thing. And anytime hmm, I definitely think education is a good thing, but I think our educational systems in general have a lot of issues, obviously. Um, but well, I'm not sure. That, if, yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I question colleges these days, and I think a lot more about them than I did in the past. But but I guess what I'm driving at here is that you have a monoculture. Whenever we go from saying. Uh, half of journalists were college educated and half were not because the way that college educated people approach things on the whole is, is put into a bucket. It's much more uniform. The behavior of everyone who graduated from college, even if they're different colleges ends up probably more similar than the behaviors of, all of these other people who didn't graduate from any college. Mm-hmm. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if all of our journalists are now college graduates, then all of them are, are giving us our information from the perspective of college graduates, not, mm-hmm. not the individuals that they might've been otherwise. Um, do you see how this could be a problem of capitalism? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, uh, the, the large issues that I see within uh, a collegiate structure are related to the fact that it's just money-based. Um, one of the things that really was driven home for me is this idea of a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. And uh, a zero-sum game means that, that by one person having a victory, another person automatically has to lose out. And I was listening to this guy, uh, Naveel can't think of his last name and i think he's like a venture capitalist essentially and he was discussing how um for a lot of people when you don't have money you view the people who do have money as taking something from you but wealth is not a zero-sum game wealth can be generated and how much money you have never takes money from another person which is about the most capitalist favored thing i think i will say like today (laughs) but but it's important to think about like it's not a zero-sum game and if you have 100 people in a class and 100 people in this class getting 90 on the test and they each get an A, 
that makes sense. But a lot of colleges, a lot of courses, a lot of individual professors or, or what have you grade on a curve. And what that means is that you're only going to give out 10 A's and you know, it, it could be different figures or whatever, but you created a artificial scarcity in the system. So even if these students all performed well, you know, instead of getting their grade, they're getting a grade based on how they compare with their classmates. And college isn't call my my concept of what college should be is to educate somebody, not point out how they're better or worse than their classmates. And to tie this back to capitalism, what you're looking at here is that by creating artificial scarcity within this system, you are justifying the need for this this school. These are different tricks they use to to make college something worth what a hundred thousand dollars probably these days. I I don't I don't know what it costs now, but you know our state state school education was around sixty thousand for me in two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I w- there's I think a number of. Uh, bad things that capitalism causes with college. I was thinking also in terms of like, like you said, colleges cost money. Um, Like that doesn't happen in other countries, you know, like you don't have to, college doesn't have to cost money. Um, But then also from like the, the perspective journalist side, um, like 50 years ago, you're, the average salary in this country had a lot more purchasing power. So like if you earned the equivalent of like $30,000 a year today, like 5,000 back then that was like enough to like put a down payment on a house or whatever, if you were white. Um, and now like there's no hope of that. So like you can't be a journalist I don't know. There's like all these like weird dynamics where like, if you don't, if you can't afford a college degree, there's no way you can afford being a journalist. Um, you have to like earn money now and journalism is the kind of career that like you might not earn money for a while. And we don't live in a society where you can just not earn money for a while unless you're rich. Mm -hmm. So it like, there's all these weird structures in place that lead to wealthy white people intellectuals being journalists and like they're inherently yeah, going to be less critical of like uh jeff bezos you know whatever the thing is we're getting a a single-sided view of it mm-hmm. i i agree and i don't know if it's too too far off the rails of what you're discussing there but this idea of you know the amount of money that you can earn the purchasing power and what are you ultimately trying to do buy and own a home mm-hmm. this is I think this is the crux of a lot of of the frustrations that I've been recognizing and feeling. I think a lot of our generation, a lot of people in general, like we are recognizing that we we don't have the opportunity for a stake in this thing anymore. And when you when you might be homeless if if you're one paycheck away from that thing, you don't have freedom anymore. You don't have agency. So we are whether or not there's a, I don't, I don't view this as an evil Illuminati system is plotting to bring down, you know, the middle class in America. But I do mm-hmm. think that this whole system has moved in a direction where 
your average American citizen is losing the opportunity to own a home, own property, own their own wealth, and have the agency in that thing. And and that's a really fucked up thing to do to an entire nation. It it makes it makes you not invested. It, for me personally, it makes me not invested in the welfare of this country mm-hmm. because I I'm literally disenfranchised. I don't have franchisement. I don't own a piece of this thing to care about how it turns out, work to make it better, and feel like part of a community. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And this is all traumatizing. Like, And we've grown up in a country where we were told that we're the best country in the world, and we're excellent, and we have so much money, and you're so lucky to live here. And that like adds to like the weird psychology of all this. Um, and yeah, super fucked up. And then the politicians don't give a shit because 80% of politicians are in districts that are not up for grabs. Like they just have to win their primary and they're guaranteed to win the general. So there's no, uh, like if you look at Pennsylvania, like the, the, Congress, there's probably 10 congressional seats. Maybe one of them or two of them are contested like Connor Lamb's district or whatever. Um, That's the 80% right there. Like 80% of the legislators don't give a shit. They're not, they're just going to do the same thing. They have no skin in the game. There's no consequences for their actions and there's no, there's no reason for them to look out for the constituents. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I would vote for a Republican president if they said my platform is I will be the last two-party president and I will do this and that and pull these levers with election law to allow third-party and multi-party candidates to succeed. And, and the next election you have will be one where I am one of maybe five or six or seven candidates from different parties and we build coalition governments. And like my mission is to end the two party system because this is crushing our country. I think John Adams said one of the founding fathers was like the worst thing that we can have is two parties. Like it is going to be bad no, news. The bears. worst thing you could have is one party. Um, I don't know. We did pretty well during world war one where we essentially had one party. <laughs> there was like no dissent. And but you're right. You're I. I'm, I'm being facetious. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, one party and, and having a totalitarian but, government's the worst. Yeah, yeah. But a two party yeah, system is right behind it. A two party system is very often landlocked and ineffective. Uh, they're ineffectual. They're they they constantly overrun each other and nothing gets done. Right. And I am relieved that our government is as ineffectual as it is because if our government was better at what they do, I think that we could be looking at things even worse for anybody who already feels disenfranchised at least. Yeah. Um, I wanted to change the subject slightly. Yeah. We were taught, well, we were talking before about, um, how people are products of their environment. Like you, uh, like you were out to dinner with the the teachers who are like kids these days kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I had this thought a few weeks ago about how Freud is Jewish and like, it's, it's so Jewish of Freud 
to um to like be self-critical and like to psychoanalyze like the process of psychoanalysis is very jewish and i'm not surprised that it was like a jewish person in europe that came up with this i'm following here it it sounds borderline playfully anti-semitic at this point but yeah there is something distinctly neurotic Mm -hmm. about about everything freudian yeah and everything jewish yeah um like what was young? Was he a Christian? Probably. I would. I actually. That's a great question because didn't he? Use, I feel like he used a lot question. of like Christian, uh, like uh, visuals, but or you know. But he was talking. very into shamanism. Uh, right. Uh, right. Indigenous people's sense of community, maybe. Like, there's something. There's something that's very not Western about about young. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I was recently listening that or heard this lecture about how the first Western philosopher was um, the Triangle guy, uh, Pythagoras. <laughs> um, okay, he okay. was not only a mathematician, <laughs> but he was like a philosopher, and he okay. he lived like hundreds of years or something behind before like Plato. And he's regarded okay. as the first Western philosopher, but apparently he like studied Hinduism and like essentially what he did with philosophy was, was simply Westernizing uh, Hindu like self-evaluation um, and, or, or not self-evaluation um, cosmology like ideas okay. about about the creation of the universe and ideas about um like patterns in the universe and systems he was very from my limited understanding I don't know a lot about Pythagoras but I do know that his group was considered a cult at the time and even now they often refer to it as the cult of Pythagoras mm-hmm. these people were they were really hung up on some weird shit and I think that it's kind of that if I had to imagine what it would have been like, it's this sort of group madness where, you know, you start to recognize patterns and you think that you see and get everything. And you have a group of people who are living together. And it, I don't remember the specifics, but I think there were like really weird specific things about how they were allowed to live. One of them was like they couldn't walk through either a field of grass or a field of flowers. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's specific mm. things that resulted in like um, deaths of their members because they wouldn't break their own weird rituals. Like mm. if I remember correctly, one guy was getting chased and he wasn't allowed to cross this field of flowers because it was outside of their, their conceptual idea of what they were allowed to do. And then he was caught by people and beat to death or something. Mm. Like they were, they're fucking weirdos. Yeah. Um, so like a lot of Westerners will say that like Buddhism is more like a philosophy or that it's closer to a philosophy. And um, it's interesting because I think a lot of philosophy is, is investigating universal truth, like the process of discussing what is and is not universal truth, if you will. Um, Yeah. And Buddhism simply makes a religion out of that process. Like Buddhism says like that process is universal truth. And that, 
that is how the universe works and that every conscious being like it, it's 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 just like kind of obsessing or glorifying or or you know religiositying i don't know religifying philosophy and westerners yeah and westerners can so right it, but like it, westerners it, it viewed as i don't think westerners can grasp that like they don't seem to grasp that notion they're like well the closest thing it's like is a philosophy when it's like why can't you just understand that like this can be a religion like if you love Here's, if you love philosophy so much just like make it just mar- why don't you marry it and i married it <laughs> so so here's my perspective and and i would fall back on your your knowledge and not just your knowledge it's your amount of time you spent in uh, invested in this thing and immersed in thinking about it for me it still feels very outside of me to to look at and consider buddhism and most like whatever you want to call this again that that question of from a western person i know it's a religion but it isn't what i understand to be a religion so my perspective here is that in this sense of seeking truth in buddhism it's so important it's treated with a sense of reverence that it is a religion it's not just a philosophical pursuit or asking these questions it's why we're fucking here to figure out the thing. And with Christianity and being raised in Christianity, religion is always another thing. Uh, one of the reasons I think is because nothing in religion really makes sense <laughs> for how the world ends up actually operating. So it's like, well, this is our religion. Um, it's really important to us because this is what it's all about. And if you don't follow it, then you suffer eternally after you die. Or if you do it right, you're rewarded eternally. So no question, religion's the most important thing. And then instead of it being particularly useful, because yeah, sure, there, there are good stories in the Bible, it doesn't seem to be this exploration of what the philosophies of Jesus were. It's a narrative. It's a story about a person and how that makes us feel. Mm -hmm. And that is so much of my growing perspective of of Western culture, of what we've seen of the political cycle over the past, you know, eight or 10 years here, this idea of, I don't care what you think the truth is. I'm more interested in how I feel about this story. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I don't know if this, I think this relates, but I think all monotheistic religions are authoritarian. Does this relate is, to what would, you're Would so, you consider Buddhism a monotheistic religion? No, no. I think Buddhism is democratic versus authoritarian because okay. Buddhism doesn't give a shit about how you feel. Like Buddhism doesn't want to make you feel a certain way. Buddhism has no interest in changing how you feel. Okay. Uh, which I think is very democratic. It's like, come as you are. Like, like we want you to vote that way, <laughs> if you will. Whereas Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, it is there is a creator God with rules that if you follow, you will be in God's grace and you will receive abundance. Bingo. And you must okay. change yourself. You must 
bow down, you know, submit yourself to God's grace. Because Um, you don't know, but God does. Yeah. And again, I, I, you can't, I don't think you can separate it from the cultural context. Like Judaism was a religion created for enslaved people and exiled people to cope with enslavement and exilement. And so they don't have a heaven or hell. Um, they are simply God's chosen people and they're not trying to convert anybody because you're not one of God's chosen people and he is for us. And we have rules that we follow to be in accordance with our God. Whereas Islam, I think was explicitly created to dominate people like Muhammad was a warlord who was also a political leader. And I believe he had a mystical experience, but I also believe he was socialized in a certain way to when did Muhammad live? 600 years after. No, I think it was like, I think it was five or 600. Yeah. Interesting gap. And like weirdly new, you know? Right. But he also saw the domination of the, Catholic of like of, of uh, the Roman Catholic church. Um, and so I think like all that goes into the influence of like a human who's like a leader. Um, and then Christianity, like Jesus didn't start out as a maniac, but like the, you know, the Roman Catholic church was like, Oh, this sounds good. <laughs> the Roman empire rather co-opted yeah. it and turned it into like pretty bad stuff. Anyway, um, yeah, I think could, that could they're this, authoritarian. Could this world support a new Messiah, do you think? Like, is it possible that we could have a, a one person who or, or originates something as widespread as one of the three main monotheistic religions? Probably not. I don't think that would be accepted by enough people. Um, in those religions, but I don't know enough about those religions to know how accepting they would be of a potential new Messiah. Well, the advent of Christianity and the advent of Muslimism, which I really don't even know enough about it to, to make any kind of definitive statements. My impression here is you're looking at a group of people who were oppressed, someone who came along and gave them a new view of that reality and that led to to them creating a people that that follow these ideals and what's the, the missing factors uh, a lot of social disrest and feeling oppressed check we've got those and then uh, the strong-willed people standing up I guess We've seen a handful of those too. But don't you, but and what, wouldn't it be easier if just like monotheism went away? Like it's much easier to just make people atheist than to come up with some other fake lie, some bullshit. Cause I don't believe in monotheism. Okay. So, you know, you know, Anton, you know, Anton LaVey, right? Uh-huh. Uh, the founder of the church of Satan at, you know, this time when, Man, yeah, he really he caught onto this zeitgeist and he made Satan popular. And uh, one of the interesting arguments that he had that uh, whoever you know generally considers themselves modern day Satanists sort of divorced themselves from uh, Anton Lavey was really big on 
magic, the ritual, and the way that he phrased it was dogma. And he felt, believed, pushed this idea that human beings crave dogma the same way that we, you know, talk like people need uh, rules that crave, you know, direction and things like that. He, he believed that this idea of seeking religion um, would is intrinsic to the human experience. And I think, you know, along these lines, anytime that you're looking at the negatives of religion, organized religion, people following these sorts of things, and kind of throwing your hands up to why is this even necessary, it, it's important to recognize that, or at least the way that I look at it, it's, it's intrinsic to humans. We, we seek this kind of structure, maybe this kind of fiction, uh, this sense of the fantastic and like all of the rules that go along with it, uh, at least to the point where I think that if you can incorporate that idea, I incorporate that idea to how I look at other people in the world. So, you know, instead of being frustrated by religion, I'd like to recognize what this is that it it gives people, Mm -hmm. why intelligent people, you know, still seek these things in their lives, why I myself, you know, for wherever I'm at in my religious journey, experience, or feelings, still really enjoy those weird aspects of it. Um, I think something can be uh, in in all humans. I think there can be, like you said, uh, all humans have this desire for dogma or this uh, attractiveness dogma. Like, that may be true, but like, that doesn't mean that you like humans are so complicated and advanced that like you don't need to, you have executive function and you don't need to succumb to every impulse and every affliction that you have. And so like whenever somebody is like, Oh, people are, people are always going to be greedy. That's like inherent in people or like people are always going to seek dogma. It's like, "Mm, I need to shit and pee, but I've potty trained myself. Like, I can do it in a time and place that's appropriate. And I know that like, I'm not going to shit and piss all over the fucking state house. If you get the metaphor, I'm not going to bring religion. I'm not going to bring dogma into my law the same way. I'm not going to shit where I eat. Like just because I have impulses, it does not mean it's appropriate to be monotheistic. Like I'm non-theistic. Buddhism uh-huh. is, is not atheist in my opinion. It's non-theist where we like, don't regard, we don't talk about theism. We don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, but like, I think I mean, it's, I think point, it's foolhardy it, to it be a religion. It's just a philosophy. No, it's a religion. Um, because, because it's important. No, because every, because it explains the experience of, I guess, I guess I, the way I'm saying, because, um, because we worship it, because we have rituals, because we chant and we meditate and like, we wear clothes and have priests and like, okay, there's like well, a whole, there's no, a whole, str- we also thing. have, we have genocides. We're, we're like a real religion. We even genocide people. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're shitty Buddhists. So like, um, yeah, a, it's very much a, a religion. College, a, a college that's in it, something you believe in. It's got, uh, leaders within it. It has, uh, grades and ranks. It, um, is important enough to uh, demand a tithe, you know, and for a lot of people throughout the rest of their lives. It's uh, a system and a way of thinking. It's 
a group of people that you become a community in. Um, I, my, my implication here and something I've been thinking about lately is this idea of like when, when someone of a religion demands that they get certain rights, especially whenever they demand that they get certain rights, but other people don't qualify for these kinds of things, mm-hmm. then what is it that makes your thing a religion or what is it that we think a religion is? Because because it's definitely a philosophy and a community and uh, a way of life, but there are a lot of things that are philosophy, communities, and ways of life that don't get special privileges. And that, to me, implies that one person's opinion gets to be more important than another's. You know? Uh huh. I think that's bullshit. I think that. But that's um, not the only. Def- that's you- not the only definition of religion. Well, then I'm asking, what is it that makes a religion different than a philosophy, a way of life, or a community? There is there is no um, there is no one set definition of what a religion is. Um, okay. This is something that is debated. But but that's hard to to agree with because, especially <laughs> as we look at uh, our society, tax laws, religious exemptions. Um, what right? But what wait, can, can I get into the political system? Yeah, go ahead. Let me interrupt you. We're getting into post-structuralism here. Um, a lot of language is defined. Yeah, a lot of our okay. language is inherently defined and not explicitly defined. A lot of our language okay. is about putting a bunch of things into a category and like defining them as one thing based on a bunch of their attributes. But like okay. that doesn't that doesn't define what the object is. It's simply like we, we deduce in our imperfect consciousness what something is. And like this large swaths of our language are like this. We're like, they've never been properly defined. It is simply, we understand what each other is saying. Yeah. And when somebody says I, I am, you know, religious or this, Right. that way like we get it and yeah and in eurocentric culture we have not analyzed words until like the 20th century <laughs> so so oh, we're just now realizing about. we're just now realizing like oh shit like we didn't right. even we never even fucking agreed on like what religion means and where do you come up with this we we haven't really defined words until the 20th century yeah like we haven't we we have we had never no we 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 had defined words we had had dictionaries before the 20th century but we had never yeah we had never analyzed whether those definitions are true and whether those definitions actually encompass everything um and also like where those definitions come from but uh as it going back to religion like i i don't what makes it a religion is, is, is the clothing and the worship and the incense and like the, the singing bells that I have. Um, so we don't, but we don't have a God. So it's definitely, it's hard to grasp. (laughs) What, what I am pointing out is that in, in this country, we do define certain things as religions and then we give them special privileges because of that. Right. So in the very least, I am saying that for, for the reasons that it matters to me, at least in this conversation, 
if someone's going to get special treatment or additional privileges, then we are agreeing that this thing is a religion and giving it that status. And I am calling bullshit on the fact that some get it and others don't. And some people get to decide that, you know? Mm. Uh, Yeah, that makes sense. I don't, I think that is a relic of, um, of, of a past era when spirituality was used as like a, a political lever. And like, we're still in that era, but I think, I don't think that has to be like, I think we could, if the, if this planet would continue sustaining human life, I think we could evolve beyond theistic governance because that's what they do in most European countries. Like we've seen it happen. We're not the most advanced democracy in the world and we're not. And, and the countries with more democracy have less religion and like more atheism in a weird, a weird way. I, I definitely think that, that it's really hard to look at atheism as not a step or evolution. Like it, it, seems so much like a continuation of the thought, a more advanced way of looking at things, especially to, at least from my perspective, as somebody who's brought up in a, you know, in a religious sense of world, and then to, to see things that maybe decide to move away from that. It, I can't imagine the reverse of that. I can't imagine somebody who would grow up without these structures and then, have view view them as greater truths, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to come into them and believe them and think that that was a more advanced way of thinking. Have you ever thought about the difference between atheism and non-theism? So like this question of, you know, with Buddhism being a non-theistic religion, uh, I mean, again, to me, it sounds like we're hitting hitting this argument. Like if if it's not checking that box, is it just a philosophy? You know, mm-hmm. or that back to the whole other thing. Like then they're all religions, or none of them are religions. Why why use that term at all, or grant something special privilege or status? Right. I would say you devote your. I think the biggest thing with religion is you devote your life to it, and like it's. It's a it's a a blind spot in the West that we would not look at somebody like Freud and say that their religion was therapy or that their religion was psychoanalysis. Like if there was imagine if there was a religion of Freud. Imagine if people had bells and whistles and chants and services around Freud. You'd call it a religion. That's what Buddhism yeah. is, essentially. Yeah. I listened to a podcast, man, I love this one, it's called um, uh, Second Oil Age, mm-hmm. and it supposes that uh, the planet Earth goes through a massive uh, energy crisis, and we are saved by another intelligent spirit, uh, species that's been living underneath the oceans this entire time, kind of hiding from us. Mm-hmm. And the like real interesting things happen as these two cultures meld and get to know each other and cross uh you know their genetic lines but uh throughout the podcast 
the commercial breaks are bookended by commercials and news snippets within this diegetic universe. Mm. And one of them is an interview with a religious leader who follows the teachings of Terrence McKenna in his, uh, particularly his stuff with the, the time wave and the, the singularity. Do you know this stuff? Yeah. Without yeah. getting too deep in the weeds, like everything is getting more complicated and we're moving towards a singularity of chaotic complications. And this universe supposes that there is a, a splinter group of people who religiously believe Terrence McKenna as a savior or a prophet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah, he was, he was prophetic in, in certain ways yeah. you could say. Yeah. So would have fucking hated it too, which is why it's so mm-hmm. ironic. And amusing. Right, right, right. So do you consider yourself an atheist or a non-theist? I, you've heard me use this bullshit line, but I, I don't put myself into a box. Uh-huh. I, uh, like I, I worship Satan, but I'm not a Satanist. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in Satan the same way that I believe in, in this world that I live in. Um, I think that ideas have as much power and reality. It's because I can look at this world and, and view it with such a sense of distrust for its truthiness. Mm-hmm then I find just as much truthiness in these other fictitious things. God is very real to a lot of people. You know, this Christian God or Jesus who existed mm, to me, that's a cop out. It doesn't matter. He's real to peep certain people. That's the biggest cop out I've ever heard in my life. Do you believe what? in God <laughs> that Do I believe he in God? exists to certain people? Yeah. Are you a theist oh, I, or are I you an atheist or are you a non-theist? Uh, Well, I'm I'm trying to be I'm trying to lead you here. I I would suggest you consider non-theism because I've I've heard some arguments about how like if you call yourself atheist, you're making like a resolute statement about like the world must be this way and like there's no way that there's a god and like if there ends up being a god like you might feel pretty foolish <laughs> about your like atheist wager and that is bullshit. The well, it's safer to believe in God just in case he exists. No, no, no. It's safer I'll to be, what, no, it's, if, it's safer to be a non, it, but it is factually safer to be a non-theist than a theist philosophically because. safer. No, 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 like, no, 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 that, no, that's, right, again, no, logically. That your yeah. view of reality is true. No, no, this is a logical, no, but that's the thing. There is such thing as logic in the world and there is yes, things. And, and, and so, and so, brains. but hold on, but hold on. So it is. It is logical that if you are if you are an atheist and there ends up being a Christian God, you will be wrong. That is the logic of yes, that statement. That's, that's Pascal's wager. Right. If you are a theist and there ends up being no God, again, you are proven wrong. However, if you are a non theist, you are never wrong. You are you are you are not in the wrong because it's almost like agnosticism. It's like that's and that's where Buddhism lives. Like it doesn't matter whether God or aliens exist or not; they can exist. The laws of Buddhism remain the same, and like you can believe whatever fucking God you want, and that they may be true. I'm not gonna like pretend like I know more than what I do because I don't. 
So yeah, you should be a non-theist. So, uh, <laughs> are you a evangelical non-theist? Like you're trying? To yeah, yeah. I'm trying to spread. Your, I'm trying to, for, or else I'll shoot you. You must be non-theist, or I'll shoot you. <laughs> so I think Pascal's wager is a little bullshit. I think that uh, if there is a theistic God who made us in His image, then the person who believes in God because it's the logical way to approach it. I'll tell you what, if I was God, those people would be on my shit list. Um, I think that, uh, but I'm not describing Pascal's wager. You understand? I, I mean, maybe I'm mistaken in understanding Pascal's wager, but that is literally, that's the thing. Pascal pointed out that if he's if saying you might as well God believe in God, you don't believe in him. Right. Yeah. You might as well, because if you believe in God and there isn't one, no big deal. One of these things has no, a serious consequence. I think it's a big deal to be wrong. That's a th- that's a difference between me and Pascal. Oh, like when I we're, I'm not worried about it. Well, in the realm of I philosophy, be? in the, like, I think, I think one of the purposes of pursuing philosophy is to pursue truth, like to understand knowledge and to understand truth. And if you're, okay, if you're not, on. if you're not interested in in pursuing truth then like I'm not interested in having a philosophical debate with you because like that's the whole idea of having a philosophical debate is like discovering together what truth is. And, and the truth is if you're okay. non-theist, you're, you're not going to be wrong either way. So like philosophically it seems to be the right answer to be just like until God shows up and proves to me that he exists, I'm not going to, not going to opine either way. So I'm not worried about being wrong religiously. Yeah, I yeah. think that being raised Christian, you're told if you're wrong. Clearly you're not. You're wearing about. a Satanist shirt with an, uh, with an <laughs> inverted pentagram. <laughs> you're not worried. <laughs> no. And, and if I'm wrong, then uh, fucking cool. I didn't want to sit in heaven with my grandma. Yeah, yeah, no. Hell would be you more know? interesting. Yeah, hell's ru- hell rules. It would be more interesting. Torture me for eternity. I like the movie Hellraiser. Let's see That's how far right. we can take this. That's why we chose to be born um, in this life. Hell is more interesting. Go and, ahead. And then to be wrong philosophically, maybe even here, to, to look at philosophy as only a logical approach to seek real truth. I think that my pursuit, my interest in philosophy is, is a little bit closer to art. It's not Ooh. dismissing that you can make arguments about these things, but there is no... There's no right art. Mm, yes, I yes, yes. With philosophy, um, especially my, my penchant for argument, like mm-hmm. uh, this is a way to experiment to to put different filters on reality and to have fun with that thing. Mm. And I will argue points that I don't necessarily believe. I mean, if if I'm living to whatever single one statement I do believe that you know, you can't really believe anything that nothing is real, then I couldn't really believe anything else. Yeah. yeah. But, but I want to, I want to try it out. I want to talk about these things. I want to see where I hit into walls, where other people hit into walls. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's not about being right or wrong or recruiting or changing anybody's opinion because, because I have no interest in making anybody stop what they believe and, instead believe what I believe. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Which again is pretty much nothing. 
Yeah. So I guess if philosophy is art, there there's a fine like let's say it's like jazz, like um if a philosophical conversation is art in the way that jazz is like a musical conversation between two people. It's a collective effort, yeah. There's a there's a fine line. You want to improvise and you want to push boundaries, but there's a fine line between that and going completely off key. Um, yeah, and I so I love that. Beautiful. I love that playful. To, yeah, it has to stay music though. Right. Yeah. And so you're pursuing, like, if I I want to pursue truth, but you're like you're saying like, it doesn't necessarily you don't you don't always arrive at truth. <laughs> Um, sometimes you you arrive at something interesting. That's not, that might is more nebulous than truth. You don't win music, you know, or dancing. You don't don't play music to get to the end. It's not a race. You know, you don't play music. Uh, there, there is no, the best musician. And, and I mean, there are definitely, you can look at things like say, this is skill here, but what are you, you're doing, you're creating something beautiful. You're having appreciation for those aesthetics. You're, you're reaching heights that can't be quantified anymore. And to, I think to look at philosophy or even religion as mm. seeking one singular truth, it's a tall order at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I love how we've skipped around so much, but I've, I've been able to follow at least so far. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. So what, any other, any other thoughts? What else you got? Cause I got some shit to do today, but I want to talk more. I got some more shit to talk about. The, the, the idea of trying to recruit people to your non theism (laughs) or the fact that it is definitely the most right. Like it seems, misplaced it's so misguided it is it's misguided it's like a total corruption of like the very philosophy i want to believe (laughs) and it's also like again it's like that i I view pascal's wager as laughable because if you're viewing this whole thing as a goal to not have the negative outcome after you die like like much like the the jazz argument, I think I think religion serves people when it's beautiful. I think that uh, this idea of evolving past whatever base instincts you are that you need dogma or something like that is much like saying, well, clearly the best environment is indoors. You know, it's the right temperature. Um, we have water that's clean and potable here. We shouldn't ever go outside again because indoors is better. And in anything where we take where we forget the fact that we are human animals, that we are uh, a mind and a body, and it's that gestalt of the two things together that makes the human experience, then, then fuck it, man, you're missing out. Uh, the more the more ways that you get to appreciate the things that are animal about you, the further ahead you are, I think. Mm. And and I think looking at some like uh, sports as an outlet for you know violent tendencies. That's a good thing because yeah, because if, if you're a human and you want to hit somebody and we can find a way to do it where it's a good good thing, an okay thing, then do that. You know, Don't 
try to scrub that emotion out of people. Uh, Yeah, but but, for the religious. Yeah, but like religion kills millions of more people than sports. (laughs) Like it's been a bad thing. Yeah, I was having an argument with Allie about this yesterday. Um, uh, I can't remember the the guy's name, but uh, he said if if you truly are a proponent of free speech, then you are a, a proponent for exactly the things that you don't believe in. And this idea, like, I I don't think religion is a great thing, but I I really I would staunchly defend anyone's right to to employ the thing. And, and I can take hard stances on things, anything that hurts somebody, um, anything that, you know, uh, promotes violence, murder isn't okay. Like I'll put my foot down on things and, and, and I don't need to spend uh, a large chunk of my life philosophically validating why murder isn't okay. Mm -hmm. I'm just okay accepting that that's the truth. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, even the, I defend these things because I don't necessarily believe in them. I defend them because if they were just my own thoughts, I would just be, you know, fighting for myself here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm biased cause I, I ascribe to a certain religion, but I just think the other religions are inaccurate and they all think the same way about my religion and yeah. And and it's way more fun if you don't care who's fucking right. I don't, that's for you. It's more fun, but for (sighs) me, it's more fun to figure out who's right. And now that I figured it out, I'm like, incredibly satisfied <laughs> There's, and like huh. every quantum physicist agrees with me and my religion. It's just the best fucking thing ever. There's not a single quantum physicist that is like this, this falls right in line with Christian thinking. Cause it doesn't, it falls in line with Buddhist thinking. Well, I'm really glad for you and all of the quantum physicists in the world <laughs> that you've got it figured out. It must be nice, you know? Yeah. And I just, I just, think there's nothing wrong with being like respectfully the, I th- if you thought the way that I thought you would be thinking more accurately than if you believed in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the people who believe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ think the same thing about me and I think that's totally fine but and, I still think they're wrong and they should not be in power when people when people have a extreme sense of conviction this is often what leads to really negative things. And I believe that. And I'm not saying, hmm. but what if the conviction, what if your conviction is critical thinking? Do you think it's wrong to have a conviction that everybody should have critical thinking skills? It's almost like the being intolerant of intolerance or something. Like it's, it's a hard question. Yeah. It's a hard (laughs) question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, if your religion was just, everyone should have critical thinking skills, then no, I don't have a, a logical way to oppose that. But there is no religion of, I don't, I don't know your religion like you do, but I don't think that it's simply, Hey, everyone should have critical thinking skills. Everyone should be more self-aware. There is not currently. Cause even I think atheism is, is too dogmatic to science and like, Sci- yeah. scientists uh, are too um dogmatic to themselves 
Yeah. I fucking hate the signs. We believe in science. (laughs) Oh, you've got a fucking religion. It's called liberalism. Very good for you. I'm so glad that you've found something dogmatic to believe in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, cause science is only what you can observe. So science isn't a fucking religion. It's a system for falsifying assumptions. Yeah, there's there's way too much truth not, out there that's not Yeah, Christianity's not a system for falsifying assumptions. Mm-hmm. And I don't know Buddhism that well, but I don't you know even philosophy is not science is unique in what it is, but it's not a thing to believe in. It's a set of tools. Well that's so um there's this Buddhist ta- uh, speaker who his name sounds like Alan Watts, but his name is B. Alan Wallace. And I, I think I've heard of this. Okay. He talks about how like William James was the closest Westerner to come to developing a a religion of critical thinking, if you will, like a or a science of critical thinking. Um, and is he by camera mind? I, I William James. Uh, I don't remember. I don't know. But he studied he studied like Buddhism as well, and so us okay. Buddha, we Buddhists believe that. Um, that we are, that are, we have a science of mind. Like that's what we regard our religion as a science of like a study of the mind and study a science of consciousness. Um, and so I think that's pretty close to critical thinking, but again, very biased. <laughs> I think it might've been Watts who pointed out that, uh, where we view science and the advancement of Western technology versus a lot of what we consider to be Eastern thought or uh, philosophy and religion, Western approaches became very interested in energy and understanding energy. You know, the figuring out what the speed of light is or how to you know maximize the use of fossil fuels, and with the same effort and interest. Uh, Oh, it's McKenna who said this, uh, that these Eastern uh, ways of thought became very interested in exploring the mind and particularly time. And time isn't something that our Western approach and uh, uh, advanced analytical equipment and tools, it can't look at time the way that contemplation does. And within our Western versus Eastern kind of approach to it, it became very much, this is the important one. And that is more of the, the wooey woo stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Also like as of right now in 2021, there's not a scientist that can tell you the biological basis for consciousness. Like there's no, there's no no, understanding. The human brain is, absolutely the most complex mystery of that it's well in my opinion the human brain is a more a more complex question than the entirety of space and all the things that fill it see and i think that's a western way of thinking like i think we've been taught like like i don't know i i i've heard buddhist lecturers say like the mind is not that difficult to understand like consciousness is not that difficult to understand 
of that. Um, they added the pile of fat that, with electric signals that makes all of this. Like, well, I think. Well, I think that's how I that's how I look at like an air conditioning unit. Like it looks like a bunch of wires and and shit that I've never so unfamiliar to me and compl- infinitely complex. Like I wouldn't know the first place to start because I have like no training and no understanding and like no guide. And because in the Western culture, we don't have guides for consciousness. We have guides I, for how I to fix air conditioning units. I, I could build an air conditioner, I think. But, but nobody can build a mind. It's not about building. It's just about understanding. Like, I can't build a tree either. I could plant one, but like I can understand it. Um, and I think that when you train and practice Buddhism, you understand consciousness. Okay. Yeah. But it's hard to know, elaborate. <laughs> yeah. I'll take your word for it. If you've got a, a first step for me, I'm interested to hear it. Um, hmm. I don't know if this is a first step, but something I've been doing recently is something you can do if you're not in a traumatic place in your life. Um, if your life is relatively stable, you're, you're going to still experience, um, what Buddhism calls like suffering. You're still going to experience loss and sorrow and pain and death. Um, and one thing you can do, I think one thing I do is like when I'm experiencing suffering like pain or loss or death, uh, to not run away from those feelings and not to regard those feelings as as bad, but to regard those feelings as necessary and like part of the process that will make me feel healed and whole and giving honor to that pain or sadness um, and really try and remember it and hold on to it. Like don't okay. fucking lose that feeling because then – like let's say you lose a friendship or like somebody moves away that you're very close to um, and you're sad about it. Then like months later when you develop like a new close loving friendship, I'm pretty sure you're going to think about that sadness. Like you're going to think about that departed loved one. And many people say to me like, why are you obsessed with death? Why do you think about death all the time? Why are you always thinking about sad things when you're happy? And it's like, it makes me so much more joyful. Like, nope, I cry more than anybody I know. Like I'm the most joyful. Um, I feel like I feel my emotions, my highs so much more than others because I'm constantly thinking about the, I remember the lows and I understand that this high is going to lead to a low. And that's like the beauty of life. And like the more I feel my lows, the more I'm going to feel my highs. And, um, and, it's oh, when you do that enough, you start transcending the highs and lows and you become an observer. Okay. I'm with it. I'm with the idea of existing in your feelings, giving them that space and paying attention to the thing, getting something from the journey. Uh, and yeah, a hundred percent the, the, the highs are meaningless without the lows. 
Yeah, I like it. Cool. <laughs> Um, well, I'm going to go do some, uh, some mutual aid work today and, uh, this has been fun. Yeah. Thanks dude. You got some fridge stuff to dig into. Yeah. Yeah. Some refrigerator stuff. I feel like we can talk for like another hour and a half. This has been great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put me on for, for real soon again. Like the, I feel like the last 90 minutes it's been like, we've had all this stuff to think about and chew on. Like every, I felt like every sentence you said, I was like, Oh man, that makes me think of this or that. And the way you were talking, I felt like that too. Like we had a, a lot of things to think about and we were, oh, after- yeah, I'm going to go back and listen to this. Like, right. If I was this. Um, yeah, we didn't even get into money. I've been thinking a lot right. about money lately, man. Mm, yeah. See but that a podcast for another day. Yeah. That's why we can talk for like three hours. Cause the second 90 minutes could be more just like relaxed and getting into shit. Like, Got a lot to talk yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it again soon. I would love that. Like, Amen, buddy. I'm around Thanks next weekend or this week or whenever. Let's talk, and I'm going to post this this week. So. Fuck yeah. Cool, All right. dude. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you, Alex, and uh, to everyone else who's listening. Thanks for, for stopping in and vibing, and uh, love you all, and we'll see you next time. No outro song this time. Just going to end the record right now. <laughs>